privilege to be here. What a great church to be in. And I'm honored to be here. And you've got a great pastor. If you're new, um, I would encourage you, hang around. If I was here, this is the church I would be in. I've not visited any others, but you don't need to. Like once you've had a chocolate brownie covered with chocolate ice cream with chocolate syrup and then chocolate whipped cream, why would you want to try butter brickle? Just don't even offer me something else. Uh, we'll be in Acts 20 in a minute, and I will just say a quick word. Um, just listen to her sing. How do you preach after that song? <laughs> we just ought to all cry and hug and go on to lunch. <laughs> uh, the, I was teasing one of the family members here. Don't embarrass anybody, but about that, that uh, the Shook family, what a, what a heritage. And uh, I said, you can take the Goddard family tree and there's nooses on it in several places. <laughs> and there's a moon. I'm not teasing there. You know, moonshiners here. And this one was hung for horse stealing. And and uh, great aunt, uh, her husband was a drunk and beat her a lot. And he had a wooden leg. One day he came home, beat her and passed out in bed. And she picked up the wooden leg he'd taken off and she beat him to death with it. That's a true story. She's just tired of getting beat by a drunk. So she beat him to death and the police came and wrote it up as justifiable homicide. <laughs> Those were the days. Amen. I just, anyway, you know, God can do what he wants to do with whoever he wants to do it with. And he's good. And now my wife's family is a lot better than mine. But and my mom's side of the family, they were all very faithful, church-going, Norwegian, Lutheran drunks. <laughs> you know, we're not here because we're good, right? We're here because he's good. And uh, the church has existed because of the goodness of God, not the goodness of this people. Somebody asked me one day, one of our staff guys said, did anybody ever wonder or ever ask the question, where do we get church members? We get them from that old messed up world out there. And uh, the church is just a it's a church is proof that that it had Humpty Dumpty gone to Jesus. He'd have been put back together. <laughs> Instead, he went to the government looking for welfare and direction. And all the king's horses and all the king's men just confused him what gender he was. And. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and we've got a good God. He loved people. Um, in, um, my wife and I were uh, in high school together, a little tiny high school of 200 kids in a town of 2000. Uh, she was saved as a teenager. I was actually as a child. And as an 18-year-old just out of high school, I got saved. And two years later, she was a senior getting ready to get out of high school. And she and I started hanging out together. Uh, seven years later, we married. It took me seven years to get my four-year diploma. I really hurried things. And um, we, knocked on, we knocked on doors. I knocked on my first door starting our church seven years after I got saved, almost to the day. And um, didn't, uh, didn't know anything, but God was good. And, and I believed this book, and I thought it had the answers for people. 41 years later, um, I've lost count of the people in the ministry from our young people that grew up in our church. Um, one of our young men just three months ago started another, an, another young man started church. He, first time he'd been an assistant pastor some time, started church. Him and his wife and eight kids. 
And I think the oldest is seven. I don't know. I can't remember. I don't do numbers real well. It could be 14 kids and the youngest is three. I don't know. But <clears throat> my wife, see, we started our church with no kids, no money, no debt. And, um, and now we have no kids, no money, <laughs> no debt. <laughs> uh, God's been good to us. But um, two of our young people are on deputation right now, going to the mission field and, and not our own children, out of our young people uh, this morning, uh, three hour time difference. So in a couple of hours, we'll have about 70 teenagers. We have our adult choir sings and then they go sit down and then the teenage choir sings and they'll sit down if there's room. And so uh, using my son, he's our youth director. We sit on the platform looking, thinking there are enough seats. Now I just have them all stay up there. And the reason we leave teenagers up there in the choir instead of the adults is because the adults fall, fall asleep. <laughs> Not all of them, but, you know, there's usually a few. So we let them go sleep in the back. And uh, but um, uh, I hear the number of souls being saved. One of our uh, young men, I was just talking to your saxophone player. One of our boys started riding the bus when he's four years old. He's. He's a junior in high school now, and he's finally been able to get into our Christian school, a bus kid, and, and his name's Benny. And, and uh, his parents have come once or twice to see him baptized and a couple other things, but they don't, they're not going to come to church. But he's, he won more souls to Christ in his public school. I wonder if it was a good thing we got him in the Christian school. He won people to Christ faithfully. And a little girl from that area started riding the bus some years ago, and she came to me the other night and and she said, uh, thank you for that sermon you preached. And I'd, on Wednesdays, I'm speaking on decision-making. How do you make good decisions? And I was on Proverbs 1. Hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. And I said, you want to make good decisions, you honor your parents. That's one of the simple principles. And she said this last week, my mom didn't want me to go to church Sunday night. And I really was not happy about it. I'd done all my chores. I'd done everything she wanted me to do. She just wanted me to stay home. And somehow while she was home, she got on the phone with a young person from public school where she goes to school. And uh, she said, Pastor, I was able to lead him to Christ on the phone. Had I been in church, I wouldn't have been able to do that. And, and you know, you wonder about clashing authorities and responsibilities. All I know is God's good. And we've got, uh, we've got so many young people in our church, young couples and teenagers and and the place is filled up with young people. And then there's some old folks our age. Well, my age, my wife's young. But um, uh, Dr. Howes came to our church many times. And one time we're sitting there. One of the first few times he came and we were in a tent on a dirt lot with porta potties. And out the tent flaps was a, a little bit of a hill and there were horses. And um, we had built a wooden floor under our tent, just built it on the dirt and uh, two by six runners. And plywood across top, indoor, outdoor carpet on that. And skunks had built their nests under the floor. And so it was fine all week long until they started hearing the feet on that floor. And then the skunks had all squirting. And uh, bugs in the tent, and birds flying through the tent. And oh, it was a mess. And, and we had the tent flaps up and people stretched out and chairs out of the tent. And Brother Hiles leans over to me and says, I like what I see. And I'm seeing porta potties and bugs and dirt, <laughs> dirt parking lot and horses. And I said, what do you what do you see? He said, I see enough young people to keep this thing running. I see enough old people to keep it running straight. There you go. 
And I see that here. We need you young people to stay, to stay on target. Your energy, your strength, your passion, your stupidity. <laughs> you're, just, you're just dumb enough to believe in God. And then we need you gray heads to keep the ship straight. And God is awfully good. This morning, um, I love being here. I, just, I can tell you, I love it. Um, in two weeks, I'll be preaching in the Philippines. And I can tell you already, I love it. A uh, young man I've been supporting for many years. And finally, first time I get to visit his church and I'll be at a conference. I love the people of God. I love the church of God. And I want to take a few minutes this morning and just give you a little bit of uh, some scripture. And I won't have us turn to all of it because I'm going to hurry. But I want to I tell you why God loves the church and why the devil hates it. And along the way, you can start classifying people in the country. When these politicians don't like the church, you know whose side they're on. When the government's against our church, I remember, boy, Lester Roloff, I heard him preach in person and, and oh my, one, one day he said he was in court and uh, over, it was over his homes and he said the, the government's got no right to license a home any more than the, the little league can license the, uh, the uh, professionals. And the judge said to him, he, when he was in court, he'd, he'd stand there with his Bible like this. And the judge said to Lester Roloff, Mr. Roloff, did it ever occur to you, you might be wrong? And he said, no, ma'am, it never did. <laughs> never crossed his mind he might be wrong. Oh, my, Lester Roloff. What a, I got more quotes of his going through my mind. I just love him. And, um, I, and I'd listen to, I've got a whole, I had a whole cassette of him singing and Mrs. Goddard would hear it playing in the other room. And she'd say, who is that? That guy's got the worst voice. I said, man, he's, good. he's the best man, though. Acts chapter 20. Do you have folks stand when you read the scripture? Are they sitting comfortable? Stay comfortable if you're all right. Whatever you normally Sit down, relax, and chew a little. Just don't spit on the carpet. Uh, <laughs> I was a sophomore in high school. got to tell you this. My parents moved me from the city to a little tiny country town way up in the mountains. All you needed to be happy was a pickup, a chainsaw, and a hunting rifle. That's all you needed. And I noticed all the teenage boys had a ring in their Levi's back pocket. I thought, what in the world is that? And then I found out that's the stuff that made freshmen turn green when the seniors gave it to them. And I thought, oh, whatever that is, I ain't chewing it because I saw those boys turn green and I never did look good in green. Uh, Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul's meeting with the preachers and the leadership there in Ephesus, and he's given his testimony. He's given him the challenge. And verse 20, how I kept back nothing that was profitable to you, but have showed you and showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. He was a preacher. He's in their homes. He's in the church. He's door to door. He's out there preaching. In verse 27, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Now he throws the challenge after he's told about how all that he did. Verse 27. Take heed, therefore, to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. And if you're not aware of this, you're, God put the preacher here as the overseer. It is his job. He will stand before God accountable for what goes on in his church. He is the one to oversee. And that's why he has a right to veto things and a right to come up with new ideas and themes. And of course, he has a great staff here and it is a great, I hope you, I don't know if you could possibly know how wonderful your church is, but I am, my wife and I love being here. But he says, I've made, he made you overseers. Now look at the end of verse 28, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased 
with his own blood. The church means so much to Jesus that he paid for it with his blood. When you start spending a lot of money on something, you know what it means to you. And when you start shedding blood for it, you know it really means something. And let's pray. Lord, bless us as we look at your book this morning. Just a few minutes. You, you deserve an awful lot more time than this busy world allows us to give you. But we come asking for your instruction, for your encouragement. And uh, after these near, coming on 50 years saved, I can just a little bit say what a, what a wonderful miracle the church is. And how I love it. Never would do anything to hurt it. And uh, thank you for it. And may these moments today help us to love our church a little more. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like you to notice there, first of all, in Acts 20, uh, he purchased the church with his blood. You know, Hollywood hates the church. You find anybody, and I don't watch TV hardly ever, but, you know, we grew up as, un, I didn't get saved until I was 18, a lot of TV. You know, anybody in the, in the Hollywood movies that quotes the Bible, they're always crazy. They're a nutcase. But somebody that doesn't believe the gospel, he'll be a singing, tap dancing, happy-go-lucky, admire. You know, Hollywood makes the non-gospel preachers that are religious look good. And makes the Bible preachers look like a bunch of crazies. You know, the guy comes out with a Bible in one hand and an axe in the other. Hollywood, Hollywood hates the church. Maybe that ought to have a reflection of how our feelings ought to be toward Hollywood, but I'm not preaching on that. But over in 2 Corinthians 11, let me just quote a few verses. I'll have you turn to a couple in a minute. Number one, Paul cared for the church. Acts, or 2 Corinthians 11, 28 Besides these things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. Paul said, I'm weighted down because I care for these many churches. You know where your epistles came from? Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. He was writing to churches that he'd started and he loved these people and he prayed for these people. And he wrote greetings to these people. And, oh, I remember you and how you ministered. And I remembered you and your service. And, and, and that's where we got half our New Testament was from the loving heart of a preacher toward these churches. The apostle Paul cared deeply for the churches. If you want to go back to Acts chapter eight, because it's right in the same book and we can get there quick. Acts chapter eight. Another reason the, the, that we ought to love the church, but the devil hates the church is Acts chapter eight. Look there at verse three. Acts chapter eight and verse three, the soul later saved and Paul the apostle uh, Acts chapter 8 verse 1 Saul was consenting unto his death Saul stood there as they killed Stephen the preacher the street preacher and there, there at the time was a great persecution against the church which is at Jerusalem and they were all scattered abroad throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles oh the devil hates the church the devil would like nothing more than to scatter the people of God now, I, I, I think you ought to read your Bible in your home. I think you ought to pray with your family. I think you ought to have a, however you do it and your preacher teach you to do it and what works with you, um, some type of family Bible and prayer. And, and you ought to rear your children with the word of God all around you. My kids, um, I can just tell you, all my kids are in church today, three of the four in full-time service. And, and um, those kids were brought up from the time my oldest was days old every single day I read the word of God to those kids. 
and uh, everybody's home is different how you do it. But I remember when my uh, youngest, who's 14 years younger than the oldest, the other kids are all gone and married. And he was senior in high school. And during, uh, during school, um, I would read the Bible each day. And he, everything is the same. 6.30 every morning, everybody's at the breakfast table. Bible's open. And as they ate, I read the Bible to them. And, and it wasn't, I'm not a teary person about a lot of things, church things I am. But, but I remember sitting there that morning and I realized he's graduating from high school. He's going for college. And this is the last day I'll have breakfast and read the Bible with my children. And I was so thankful that all these years God had given us that morning time in the word of God. Of course, at bedtime, we'd pray together and stuff, too. But but oh, there in Acts chapter eight, the devil wants to scatter the church. And again, sorry, I lost my point. I'm for Bible reading at home, but it will never replace this place. I'm for you knowing the word of God. I was up. My wife's up early this morning. We're reading the Bible together and I shared a song with her. I was listening to and. And uh, I, I am for you having the Bible at your home. It will never, ever replace this place right here. And I know some of you are probably visiting from other churches like we are. I was praying this morning for my Sunday school teachers and our young people in the nursery and the, the young man preaching in, uh, I don't know, a couple of hours now. He was born in our church. And uh, we reached his parents. And they were really young. And, and he ended up marrying my daughter. And, and oh, I love the church. But, but. Never, never, never could you, you look the devil. The devil would be happy if we all gave up on the church and just stayed home and read our Bibles. Now, that may be a shock, but I'll prove it to you in a minute. All right. Look at verse verse two. Devout men carried Stephen to his uh, burial, made great lamentation over him. And look at verse three. As for Saul, this unsaved religious man, he made havoc of the church. And the devil hates the church. The devil would love to make havoc of the church. Some of you young people, you came on a bus today, maybe without your parents. And I can tell you, the young people that ride my buses are precious to us. Uh, they are a part. I, am, I tell them when they come new, I'll tell them, just want you know, I'm your pastor. I'm not just the pastor of the old people that are 20 and 30. <laughs> I'm the teenager's pastor. And you need me, you call me. I'll, they all have my cell phone number. And you need me, you call me. And I'll come to your ball game or your graduation. And they, they all, they know, uh, they matter to me. But see, in the dark ages, you go through the dark ages and the church, the Bible-believing people like you were, were attacked and banished and buried alive and burned alive and fed to lions. Why? Because the devil knows he can't beat this church. All he can do is harass it and scatter it and attack it. Oh, the devil hates it. Those people in those early days throughout the Protestant Reformation, the, Re the, the Baptists thought, oh, Luther and the Reformation, we're going to get some help. They didn't get any help. They got some more enemies. And the Reformation days were horrible. Satan would do anything to, to stop the work of the church. And so over in Acts 15, look over a couple of pages, Acts 15. Um, Acts 15, chapter 15 and verse 36. We said first, I said first, the apostle Paul cared for the church. Then the devil hates the church. Look at Acts 15 and down at verse 36. Paul had already gone with Barnabas and started a bunch of churches through, through Asia Minor. And in verse 36, some days after, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of God and see how they do. Now here he started all these churches in Asia Minor. They're back in Antioch with their, with their home church. 
And Paul just loved those people. And he said to Barnabas, let's go visit them. Let's make sure they're okay. You know, that's the care that we ought to have for one another. And I, I, I've got, a, I don't know how many names on my prayer list of former young people that grew up in our church. They're serving in churches full time or serving as laymen around the country. And well, I care for them. I don't know if they ever think about me, but oh, I care for them. They may be busy with families and church, and I don't mind if they don't think of me. That's, that's not about me, but I want them to do well. And that's how the Apostle Paul was. He said he wanted to visit them. And I've often thought I would love to have time and money to be able to just go around and visit all the churches that I love and the people that I love around the country. And maybe that's what the millennium will get to do. God will give me a horse and a hunting rifle and let me ride around the country shooting things. What will God's people be doing during the millennium? They'll be rejoicing. What are the devil's people be doing? That's who we're shooting. No, not really. Very... Look at chapter 18, verse 23. Chapter 18. Who's, somebody's got to hunt something. Chapter 18, 23. And after he'd spent some time there, so he's visiting these churches. He, he went all over the country of Galatia and Pergia uh, in, in order, strengthening all the disciples. Oh, we want the people of God strong in the Lord. And Paul went, he's trying to strengthen the brethren. Why, why would my wife and I come and spend some time like we have here? And why would your pastor and staff organize the couples retreat? To strengthen the marriages, to make marriage great again. And to, uh, to just get us to be strong in the Lord. Why do we have to be strong? Because the devil's after us. He wants to scatter us, scatter our marriages, scatter our homes. Split you teenagers from mom and dad. Split up moms and dads, split up churches. Well, the devil hates the church, but God loves the church. And over where we read a minute ago in Acts 20, 28, um, he, G, Paul says, I want you to watch out for the, for the church. In fact, look over there again to chapter, chapter 20. He said, I want you to feed the flock of God, but also he wanted you to, them to protect the flock. You have a pastor. His job is to protect you. So, well, we're mature. We can protect ourselves. Not according to God. Now, who, who knows more, you or the book? I'm not being insulting, okay. But isn't this book smarter than us? All right, look there at Acts chapter 20. We're in verse 28, where the last line, which he purchased the church with his own blood. Look at verse 29. For, this, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. So, he said, well, let me just read the next verse. Also among your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Watch, therefore, and remember. Uh, see, and I, I cease not to warn you. See, the, the devil in, in, in every church, every church, the preacher's there to warn and to guard. And he, oh, he, God loves this church, and he loves the people. We'll talk about that in a minute. He loves what this church does, and the devil hates it. And so uh, Paul said, you preachers, you've got to guard this place. And I thank God for the two pastors I've had both in heaven. I didn't get saved till later, but I had two pastors and, and uh, I would not be where I am, married to who I am. I would not be in the ministry today. I wouldn't be married to that gal right down there had I not listened to my pastors. I'm for it. Hebrews 13, 7 and 17 says it. You can't argue with it. It is such 
a powerful truth that God said, I gave you pastors. God loves the church and you need to realize that God loves the pastors and God loves the church members. You know, I think God, when you sing like we did singing in here, God loves that. He loves the singing of God's people. He loves the people of God hearts lifted heavenward. You know, he says in Colossians, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things that are above, not on things on earth. Get your eyes. He says, set your affection. Set your affection. Get loving the things of God. And then right along with that, I believe God has a deep love for the people in the church, the members in the church. Just think about it. You know how I got saved? I was in an unsaved home, good parents, but no, no Bible, no gospel. Little tiny country church way up in the mountains. And there was a mechanic sitting in church. Probably never got the grease out from under his fingernails. And he looked around one day and he said, there's nothing here for the teenagers. And so he said to his wife, you make something to eat. I'm going to invite the teenagers to our house Sunday night after church. So his wife made something. And that night he invited the teenagers to come to his house. Of course, teenagers will go anywhere because they like the word go. Ask the teenager, you want to go? Yes. You want to make it better? You want to go eat? Yes, absolutely. You go and eat. That's all. We had a teen activity one time. I don't know where your youth director is, but, but we, had, uh, we had a teen activity one time, and it was a progressive fast food dinner. And we put them on a bus, and we all went down to McDonald's and got a drink. And then we drove over to Burger King and got French fries. And then we drove to the next town. We drove a long ways and got burgers there. And then we drove to the next town and got ice cream there. And then we drove home. That was one of the funnest activities we ever had. Singing on the bus and having teenagers don't have any sense, but they're sure a lot of fun. Just three or four teenagers in that church, they went over to that guy's house and he didn't know what to do. So he pulled out a, one of my, my church cards. He pulled out a gospel track. Oh, I'm sorry, touching that microphone. He pulled out a gospel track and he taught the teenagers how to go through the gospel. And he did that two or three weeks, I don't know how long. One of those teenagers met me in the city park at 10 o'clock at night and led me to Christ. Every soul that's been saved in our church. We got kids in Belize, in Honduras, in Thailand, several in the Philippines. We've got kids scattered all over mission fields. We've got kids in the ministry across America. Every time they win a soul, baptize a convert, there's a mechanic up in heaven. Cha-ching! Cha-ching, cha-ching. Hey, it says lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Amen. And I think about that man. He died just not long after that. He's working on a big front end load of this thing and he'd grab logs like that and, and, and move them around. And he was working on it and a hydraulic line broke and it crushed him. And you know, all these years, he's been getting more. Look, the, the rewards aren't done. Now, obviously, that goes back to somebody led him to Christ. Somebody else is all going to come to Calvary when we get back there far enough. But you just think about it this morning. Who's watching the babies so you can hear? Thank God for those nursery workers. 
And who taught those children? And, and look, there's no way you could go back. I don't believe it's possible for you to trace your salvation back and not have it end up in church. For me, it was in a city park, but it went to a teenager, went to a, a church member's home, and it went to a church service where a man got burdened about some young people. The church is precious. And, and, and again, it, it doesn't matter who the preacher is. It matters who the Savior is. And we need a good preacher, but thank God for mechanics and bus drivers and Sunday school teachers and who is it that took up the offering? And who is it that didn't steal it between the church and the safe? And <laughs> Hey, we are Baptists here, all right? Only a sinner saved by grace. <laughs> who is it today? I don't know what you do, but this afternoon, yesterday afternoon, I had ladies in the ladies' jail. Today, I left several services in the men's jail. And this afternoon, there'll be three or four rest homes that my folks will go. They're not preachers. They're businessmen and they're carpenters and they're guys that work on computers and they're taking their Bible to a convalescent home, leading people to Christ and giving the gospel and bringing church. Look, I love the church. I love the church and I love and God looks down from heaven and his people are taking his son's name and lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. How could we not love the church? What a precious thing. So don't be surprised the devil beats you up a little along the way. I remember as a kid, we didn't go to church, but I had some cousins that went to church. And they were across town. And I remember on Sunday morning, sometimes they'd come, hey, Bruce, you want to go to Bible school? I got a sore throat this morning. <laughs> if they'd have said, you want to come over and go swimming or play basketball, I'd have gone. You know, the devil works to keep you out of church. Sure. I love watching my 87-year-old mom get in her car and drive. Normally, I'll go get her to church in the morning just so we get a little time together once a week. And, and, uh, but but she'll, she runs, does it, puts our choir music together, and does a lot, but she'll drive, drive into church. Oh, she's not missing. She loved church. COVID hit. Now, whatever you did is up to you, but COVID happened. We had church, and my mom wouldn't stay home. She said, I'm 86 years old. You want me to spend the last year of my life sitting home by myself? What a stupid idea. <laughs> Miss my grandbaby's birthdays. No way. I'm not staying home. <laughs> she wouldn't wear a mask either. She, she's a rebel. <laughs> oh, we got a wonderful church. And, and, I, and I, I've got senior citizens like her here in our church that have been with me. For a decade or two decades, I think, oh, I love my ushers and I love my bus drivers and all oh, the precious people that make a difference. Don't be surprised the devil says, I hate you. I hate Sunday school. The devil hates Sunday school. The devil hates the bus ministry. In California, he's, he's made it so. I don't, I don't know if I saw one bus out there that they'd let you drive in California. It's horrible. Uh, we had the most beautiful bus fleet that God had finally got us assembled. And then they made a law and, it, and it's some crazy thing. I don't know, like five years old and older, you can't even have, you can't even use a bus. And I just, you know, it just makes you want to go say God's on the throne, but it's a frustration. And to get a bus driving license in California, when I got my license, I went down, filled out the written test, drove the bus around the block and drove. Now you got to have a PhD and bus mechanics to get a license. It's horrible. It is, 
It, we, we spend a lot of money helping people get a bus license in California. Why? Because the devil's in Sacramento. And he's probably somewhere around here, too. Oh, don't. Hey, where would we be without the church? Let's, let's understand the church is vital to the love of God. How are those kids going to hear the gospel that rode the bus without a church? That's why the devil hates the church. Over in Timothy, Paul says the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. That's pretty serious. We've got to understand that the church is where almost every preacher and missionary was called to preach. Without the church, there'd be no, there'd, there'd be no missionaries and preachers going out to start new churches. We need this place. I decide I love it. Let me just close with this. Since God loves the church and the church members and the preacher, I decided I'm going to love them too. Even, even the weird ones. Amen. Number one, I decided I'm going to love the church, the preachers, the church members. I'm going to love the work of the church. But I'll tell you something else. I made a decision. I'm not going to hurt it. Last thing I'd ever want to do is hurt the people of God. It would kill me to think I hurt God's people. And on occasion as a preacher, I don't know your pastor, maybe never have done it, but as much as I talk, I say stupid things sometimes. You know, it's like my life verse, a fool is known by the multitude of his words. And I, oh, it hurts me. You know, someone says, oh, he said something and made me mad. How do you make, think it makes me feel? I'm the one who said it. You think I'm not smart enough to know I say stupid things? Go home and beat myself up, but God called it. God called a donkey and a whale and me. But I, I, don't, I don't want to hurt the church. You understand today I'd be on my way to hell, maybe in hell, were it not for Calvary. Because I had some religion, but what I didn't have is salvation. But I would not have heard what Jesus did on the cross. Had a mechanic in a little church in the mountains, probably never saw 100 people. Had that mechanic not invested in some kids and had a teenage boy not gotten out of his shell enough to ask me, are you saved? That's a big thing when you're two high school seniors. I was a high school All-American, had scholarships offered all over the West Coast and he couldn't chew gum and dribble a ball. But he had one thing I needed, he had Jesus. And I, and I wanted it. I called him up, said, I got to talk to you. And what do you want? I need to get saved. And he said, you won't believe it. These are his words. He was at my wife's house because he was leaving for college the next day. I was leaving three days later. And I knew he was leaving and I could not go to college alone. I didn't know the theology of the indwelling spirit. But I knew there was something he had I wanted and I could not leave he was going 700 miles south. I was going 700 miles north. And I knew I could not go alone. And I called him up at her house, little tiny town. We knew everybody. And I said, I need to talk to you. He met me at the park. And I said, I need to get saved. You know how hard it was for me to say that to a teenage friend? And you know what he said back? Is that all? I almost slugged him. <laughs> what do you mean, is that all? 
You know how much nerve it took me to call your house to find out you were at Tammy's house? To call her mom? To get you on the phone? To get you down here and, and to say I'm a sinner and need to be saved? Oh, and I bowed my head and thanked God for the church and a mechanic. 